What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I am your host, Josh Canuti. If you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button. But more importantly, give me a rating, write me a review. I'd love to hear your feedback as a whole. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Onnit. Onnit is one of the fastest growing health and wellness supplement companies in the world. They have everything from battle robes, exercise equipment. They have follow along workouts that you can do at home. But more importantly, they have all the supplements that you need in order to have, to have the health and wellness that your body needs. They have the total human optimization packet, which is just a packet full of all the vitamins and supplements that you could ever possibly need. They have vitamin D sprays. They have nighttime melatonin sprays. Anything that you need for health and wellness, this is the spot to get it. And you can save up to 10% on your order by visiting onnit.com slash O-C-Y. That's onnit.com slash O-C-Y. O-N-N-I-T dot com slash O-C-Y. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Robinhood. No, not the character, but the investment app. Robinhood is a pioneer of commission-free investing, gives you more ways to make your money work harder. Since the quarantine, did you miss out on Nikola stock going from $9 all the way up to 73 something? Did you miss out on Tesla, Amazon, and Netflix going through the roof? Well, now you don't have to wait anymore. Download the app. It's super easy. If you click the link in the show notes, you literally will get one free stock just for signing up. It could be Apple, Ford, Facebook, a whole slew of other stocks just for signing up. Click that link in the show notes, sign up, and get your free stock. It is free money, literally. Robinhood, investment made easy. My guest today is Isabel Muller, and we were connected through a mutual friend of mine, and I wanted to have her on because, yes, she's a CEO of an amazing company called Switch, and you can see all those details in the show notes, but what I really wanted to talk to her about is a issue that doesn't get talked about enough, and that's eating disorders. The thing is, if you don't have an eating disorder, have never been affected by it, if you are a mom, you need to listen to her. You need to listen to this episode because this issue is on the rise like crazy. The amount of girls under the age of 12 that have been admitted to a hospital over the last five years has risen 119%. You've heard me say it before. The second leading cause of death, ages 10 to 34, is suicide. The fourth leading cause of death, ages 35 to 54, is suicide. And the group of individuals that suicide, depression, and anxiety has risen threefold in the last five years are little girls ages 11 to 16. And it has a lot to do with body image issues. It has a lot to do with comparison. If you've ever been affected by an eating disorder or know anybody that has, or if you are a mom or if you have, you're an aunt or an uncle and you have a niece or a daughter and you need to listen to this episode, you need to listen to the things that may seem normal, just like odd, awkward meals that she created, but how did she overcome it? She goes over things that she used to do. So listen to it. And if you see that, you'll be more aware. So if you see something, it'll be a sign. It'll be a trigger. That may be something that's going on, but she talks about everything that she went through. She talks about how she overcame it. She gives some great advice to the generation today. And she was just a real, real pleasure to talk to. And I love talking to these people that are so willing to be open and vulnerable and share their story. Stories change the world. And hey, they may not change your life if you're listening to it, but this may get you through this next hour. And that next hour may get you through the next day. And that may get you through the next month and through the next year. And so, hey, we may not cure anything, but hey, we may be able to give somebody hope to get through that next day. So please welcome my friend, Isabel. Isabel, welcome to the Overcoming You podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. I know uh, being a CEO of your own company, you're very busy, so I appreciate 
covered out the time. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. So we actually got connected through a mutual friend. I wanted to have you on because we started to talk a little bit before the podcast started is that there's a group of people, especially in the United States, that my heart goes out to. And the, the reason being is I have, I'm 38 years old. And so all of my friends are starting to have one or two or three kids. And I don't know if it's a blessing or my friends did something right or did something wrong in a past life, but all of them have little girls. And yeah. so when I start to uh, see these little girls, I just, I'm scared about what's happening in the world right now. And people on this podcast or the listeners have heard me say this before, but the second leading cause of death ages 10 to 34 is suicide. And the group that has increased threefold in the last five years of depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts are little girls ages 11 to 16. And so with all the social media and and now we have this quarantine, so people on social media more and this constant comparing and especially with body image issues, I'm, I'm scared about what, where this is going. And so that's why I wanted to have you on because you've had some struggles in your life and you've had to overcome some eating disorders in your life. And Mm -hmm. just to let the listeners know, I, everyone knows that eating disorders are a, are an issue and they're out there, but I didn't realize how prominent they are. And so I started doing some research. And so I want to kind of just let the listeners know is that you've heard that all the things about the other, the suicide, the depression, everything like that. But in the last decade, the individuals, the little girls under the age of 12 that have been admitted to the hospital for eating disorders has risen 119%. Oh my God. One person in America dies every hour from an eating disorder. This one here, and this is why I'm so happy that you're on here. I'm so thankful that you're willing to be transparent and open and break the stigma because after a survey, 70% of the people that said, why didn't you reach out earlier or sooner is because they were scared of the stigma or scared of the judgment of it. Mm-hmm. However, there is a really good little statistic, very good, is that 80% of people that seek help end up having a full recovery or being able to work through it. Mm. So like I said, thank you for coming on. And I just want to kind of let everybody know kind of where we, where'd you grow up and um, when did this whole kind of eating disorder start for me or what was going on? Any sort of catalyst or was it just kind of what happened? How was this? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for backing this all up with those statistics and your feelings around it. Um, that's a really important intro. And the concept of eating disorders is still so vague to a lot of people. And there is not a lot of knowledge out there, especially to young girls growing up. Um, they, they are shown the normal. And then there's not often the information they need to understand what is right. So I really appreciate that. And thank you for having me. Um, I am so I grew up in Western Massachusetts, small middle of nowhere town. I grew up with one brother, you know, regular mom, dad, farm situation, uh, chickens, horses, dogs, barn cats, the whole I thing, the whole nine. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, we sold our eggs. My mom's a potter, my dad owns the local art supply store, and it's a really um, liberal artist community. 
with a lot of colleges in the area. So it's, there's bustling towns nearby. Uh, I did everything pretty regular. I went to the elementary school and then I went to middle school and then high school. You know, I, I uh, there weren't any specific catalyst events other than the long steady simmer of my parents divorce that really affected me I and as I've grown through recovery I remember new things every day and I forget new things every day and it's really interesting sharing my story with you right now because I'm visiting my family so I'm back home I'm Mm -hmm. back where this all started and I'm finding all these old memories and I, I remember, so something that's important to know about eating disorders is a lot of people think of them as just a, just a, like a, an illness that you kind of get and then you recover, Yeah. but it's really not the case. An eating disorder is a disease much like alcoholism or another type of addiction. And it's something that grows inside of you and can have a climax or a peak and then maybe you have recovery maybe you are okay but then there's always a relapse um unless you are in really strong recovery and um so that was a piece of information i definitely missed out on early earlier in my life you i grew up only learning about girls who had anorexia or bulimia Mm -hmm. Those are the two main eating disorders that a lot of people can understand and are the most physically obvious. Uh, Anorexia is the disease of starving yourself. Um, And most people who have anorexia are very small and get very thin. And then bulimia is very tangible and obvious because you have a very obvious behavior of purging. Yeah. I grew up before I even started to develop to develop behaviors. I remember having it's kind of like your I don't know if I'm I'm born with it or my brain quickly grew to need a certain type of control, but I remember when I was small, I definitely had some sort of OCD that wasn't recognized or acknowledged. I, I wasn't diagnosed or anything, but I remember weird things I would do. Like I'd be, I'd, I'd play a lot by myself in our, on our property with the horses and the, in the pastures. And I remember this is a really specific uh, scenario, but I remember I would just like have a thought and it, it would cycle over and over and over again in my head, mm-hmm. driving me crazy. And I would almost imagine putting it on the ground and then I'd step on it. Interesting. Yeah. And then I would do that over and over again and it would like, it'd be uncontrollable and I would just need to get it out of my head or I'd blink a bunch of times or little characteristics like Mm -hmm. that. Um, I think that only lasted through elementary school, but I kind of look at that as this, as the early foreshadowing of my brain trying to grasp onto something in the way of control. Um, And I think that I needed control because I started to sense the imbalance in my family life and my parents' relationship. Besides family life, girls are still growing up with this idea of being female. 
that isn't true or okay and is an incredible amount is an incredible amount of pressure. Yeah. And I'm I I really appreciate you pointing out that you're seeing your kids' young daughters and you're worried about them because you can almost visibly see a little girl go from being completely herself to being censored. Yeah. And it's really sad. And I'm, I'm, I already experienced it with my friend's kids who have little two-year-olds and they'll comment on their weight or like, Oh, she's a little chubby. And I know that um, a friend took her twins to the doctor and like, and was worried that one was, moreover like uh, larger than the other and yeah. she had a nickname for the larger one they were like six months at that point but the doctor was like you can't do that because it becomes a pattern and then girls start to identify their value with their size yeah and it just happened to my friend um i have a good buddy who comes over every so often and they have a four-year-old daughter and she gets on mom's lap and my f- friend's wife is really pretty and she gets on there and she in four years old the sweetest thing you've ever seen and looks at her mom and goes i wish i was as pretty as you are and already you know it's the when you think about it you're like oh that's that's kind of cute but then when you think about it deeper when you've had struggles like you have or or other people that come through depression what they're doing psychologically they're already comparing themselves they're already thinking that they're less than at that early of an mm-hmm. age going, I'm not as pretty as you mom, even though it's mom, it's, it's, it's close, all that type of stuff, but that's already starting. And then when I'm hearing that now I'm like, <laughs> I, I have a whole bunch of $1 bills in my pocket and I hand them out, but they have to tell me one thing that they love about themselves and it can't be. Oh, and so I, I, I <laughs> tell me one thing you love about yourself. I love my hair. Here you go. I don't care what it is as long as it's about themselves. And so I want to start, getting that habit now. So, because I'm a, I'm the uncle that's, I'm going to be the worst uncle ever. So whatever they want, they get, but I want to start (laughs) trying to instill that self-love and kindness now early. So hopefully I can do something, stop, hinder, slow it down, get in the way somehow, some form before it starts to get get too big. So you said kind of like junior high or middle school, when did the eating disorder, what type of, can you describe what type of eating disorder you had and kind of what age did it start? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. I haven't even gotten to that yet. (laughs) I am. I started seeing that I was developing uh, behaviors when I was probably 12 or 13, but I wasn't diagnosed till I was 18. So 12 or 13, I even earlier, even 10, 11, I, I started really comparing my body to other girls. I noticed that girls look different when we all played soccer in our sports bras. And I noticed that some girls got more attention than me and I looked different from them. And um, I started to actually like beyond, I feel like there are steps. There's the body image insecurities and then there's body dysmorphia. And then you start behaving in unhealthy ways. And I would binge and then restrict, which is really, really goes under the radar. And my family wasn't able to identify it because I just looked like a 
growing girl. I was a string bean. So it was like, oh, you're playing tons of soccer and basketball. Of course, you're going to be hungry. Yeah. But I would just binge on whatever. If my parents were out, I'd make huge bowls of ice cream or eat tons of cereal or I'd, I'd get really, I'd make really weird meals like turkey sandwiches with icing on them. And like, just for the, with the excuse of being um, experimental, but I just wanted to keep stuffing my face because that's the only thing that made me feel good. I think that's something that people don't think enough about. And I think when we start with this mental side and these thought processes and we start to see, I think you said it perfectly, when you start to see the comparison, that should raise like a red flag to a mom, to a parent, to an aunt, uncle, something like mom or grandma, grandpa. Oh, okay. You're already comparing. Okay. I need to watch out for this. And then if I start to see some actions or irregular behavior, now now it's really time to have like a conversation and try to help in some sort of way. So how long did this kind of binge and restrict go on for? What ages? So uh, when I was like mid-teens to late high school, instead of doing, you know, once I got into college, I was doing a very routined I had a routine around my binging and restricting. I would binge on the weekends and then eat practically nothing all week. But throughout high school, it was kind of more of a journey to find out what was most sneaky and what was easiest. So at one point I was vegan and that gave me, that gave me strict rules and I could tell someone no and things like that. And then I transformed vegetarian and then I would, um, you know, I got really into drugs and alcohol and just would like binge with having the munchies and then, you know, plan my meals out the whole week at high school. Um, But it didn't get into the like weekend week, weekend week until I had my own dorm room in college. And it was awful. It, It was just, what was probably the worst was how I felt about my body. And that, and that, you know, it's been a, over a decade. Like it's, it, it started when I was little and it went to now. It's just this body image idea that, that grows from so many different factors. Um, I didn't grow up with my parents being like, you are beautiful. All that matters is that you're smart and happy. I grew up with the concept that being fat was not okay. Mm. Um, you know, whenever I would have bread and butter at dinner at a restaurant. My family would tease me, bread and butter, make you fat. And my dad would make comments about girls that were, uh, you know, larger than maybe another girl or, um, and another huge factor was, is my mom's image of herself. She was always not happy with her body or trying to change it or was never beautiful enough. And that really just bloomed in me. And that's why I didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have good representation. Yeah. I always felt yeah. like my self-worth was wrapped around how my body looked and it just transformed into this incredibly evil disease that caused me to hurt myself with food. Um, I, I didn't, I, I always was jealous of the anorexic girls and the bulimic girls because they were, they were like better. They were better at having an eating disorder than I was. 
I was too, I, I was too scared to throw up. Like I was worried that my parents would notice. And then I didn't feel like I had enough control to be anorexic. So that's when I would have these binges and I would just uncontrollably eat till I was sick. And I, there's nothing more alone. There's no, there's no lonelier feeling than right after a binge because there's panic, there's disgust with yourself, there's pain and just, you just feel completely reckless. And eventually once I was actually diagnosed in college, Mm -hmm. a friend pointed out to me that maybe I had a problem and she ended up getting me help and got me into an outpatient program. (laughs) That's when my eating disorder really dug its heels in. I, I was really up for the treatment. I was like, Oh, I, I, I like to describe it as I was finally like, wow, someone's noticing me and noticing my pain. Please help me. Like there's this one part of me that was just like, please, for God's sakes, please fucking help me. Yeah. Whoever the parents are listening right now, I think your actions and the way you treat yourself, the way dad treats himself, the way mom treats himself and the way they treat each other are so much more important and rooted in the child than how you sometimes treat that child. Like my dad Mm -hmm. just, there was not a whole lot of self-love for the individual. Like my dad would, I would hear him say things out loud all the time about himself. You know, he's so stupid. I'd see him, he would say it in kind of a jokey manner, but I internalize that. And so now I do that a lot um, going through my, through my head. And that's why I ended up in a really bad depression as well. But one thing in, I'm sure this is a rhetorical question, but I want to ask because I think we'll, we connect on this point. During that time, I assume there's a lot of inner dialogue of, of self-hatred or, or you're ugly, you're dumb, why are you doing this, you're so stupid, something like And I'm saying those words because that's what I've told myself a lot. Mm-hmm. Would you say during those times you have a lot of those reoccurring thoughts? Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, I hated myself. And then so I thought it was disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm 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 with I'm with you. And so there's what I want to know from here is I want to know what are some ways that you've overcome or kind of worked through those thoughts? Because I think that's the more difficult one to do. But if we can figure that out or or take some lessons from you, I think it can really, really help some people. Sure. Yeah. I getting into treatment and starting to be in rooms with other people that have the same disease as me, whether, and it doesn't have to be the exact behaviors I have eating disorders or eating disorders. You're powerless over food. You're powerless over your idea of your body. Um, Once I started getting into rooms with other women, with other men and women, with everybody who had this problem, that, that is what really helped me. And I went from an outpatient program and then I went to just like a weekly meeting at a hospital. And I mean, therapy is not even a question. Um, And then now I go to 12 step meetings for eating, which is really, really helpful. And for those listening that might be struggling with eating or even curious about whether they know that they have a problem, 
the the current meetings that are out there right now for eating or or Zoom meetings and there you can just mute yourself. You don't have to turn your video on and just listen. Just mm-hmm. listening, hearing your story come out of someone else's mouth is the most powerful uh, treatment and the most yes. powerful part of recovery for me, yes. for sure. That's the whole point of this podcast is because I am convinced that change and being able to change the world happens through stories. You know, Martin Luther King's story changed the world. You know, Mark, um, Nelson Mandela's story changed the world. Your story can change somebody's life. And that's what I want. I want as many people like you that have gone through it that say, hey, I'm not perfect. I still struggle. I'm working through it. These are the things that I did. And somebody's listening right now, just on their on the run or on their walk or whatever, listening to your story. And hey, you may not change their life forever, but you may get them through this next hour. And maybe that hour gets them through the next day, that day gets them through the next week, that week gets them through the next month, through the next year, and so on and so forth. And they're still with us. That is my whole goal of this podcast. And because there's so much hurt and so much pain right now in the world that I want people need to hear the stories like yours because stories can help people. So therapy, um, 12 steps, what, uh, anything else that you kind of help to kind of work through those, those thoughts? Sure. I mean, the big thing was identifying the biggest roots and that's my relationship with my parents, specifically with my dad. He And I have addiction in my family on my mom's side and on my dad's side. And so part of this is genetic. Mm-hmm. You know, eating disorders in a way are an addiction. And um, my dad is an alcoholic. And he abandoned our family. And he abandoned me emotionally and physically. And coming to terms with that relationship and practicing forgiveness and understanding really helped me. I mean, that was just like scraping the bottom of the bucket and getting all that loose and really understanding how I was built and why I was built that way and creating positive, open, loving relationships in my life with people who also do the work. I have to have people in my life that do the work or it just doesn't work. <laughs> um, and then in my, in my later years, more recently, I, I'm in great recovery. I go to meetings. I have a, a great meal plan and I'm exercising. But what really is helping lately is meditation. For years, I was like, oh, God, I hate meditation. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I just like can't. My brain can't sit still. But, um, you know, it doesn't matter. You just turn it on, do a five-minute guided meditation. And by the end, you feel better. And that that has really, really helped me a lot. So I'm grateful for that. Um, It's just a continuous practice. Yeah. And to constantly talk about it and be vulnerable and just don't, don't hide it away. Share, reach out, find a buddy. Find a buddy or a close friend that is also going through something or overcoming trauma and just create an open line of discussion. Just create a vent line. Like, hey, I've had a really tough day and it's really triggering me in this particular way. Here are my feelings. And just to have them heard and to listen really adds value and and happiness and, and joy to the scenario. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you something, and this is my... 
I'm going to kind of pat ourselves on the back. And, and please, it's okay if you disagree with me. No, please. Here's what I think. I think individuals like yourself and myself and everyone else that has been through trauma, these soup, not comparing to other people's trials and tribulations, but these kind of real deep, dark depths of despair, especially with the thought processes of self-hatred, self-dislike, um, just really bad self-image issues. I feel like since we've gone so deep that I think we are so much exponentially stronger because we have to tread water so hardcore to stay on the top and our bottom of the pool or our bottom of the sea is so much deeper than quote unquote, someone that maybe hasn't been to those depths before. And I think we don't give, I gotta be, we don't get enough credit for being how, how strong we are for staying at the top because this is a long fucking way down. And if we let go for just a minute, it, because if with all the work that I've done and even having a podcast and I get DMs, people help that I'm helping them. And it's, it's filling my life. This is my life's mission to help people as many people as humanly possible. I still have days where those thoughts creep in. And if I don't catch them immediately, then I go down real quick, real fast, real deep. So first, do you agree with me? (laughs) And second, what do you do nowadays when those thoughts start to creep in? How do you stop it? How do you get out of it quick? I do agree with you. My pattern is more that I'll think I'll be fine, but things will be developing in me and kind of growing and growing and growing. And then I'll just have a mental breakdown. (laughs) I'll I'll have a really bad panic attack or just a really depressive day. Or so uh, that's my, that's my notification to remember to do daily self-care and daily check-ins and um, being vulnerable a little bit every day to like let it out. It's like, I'm a balloon. I have to let a little bit out every day or else I'll pop. So you have, you've done so much work and you have so many tool tools in your kit. So when those thoughts do creep in nowadays in what do you do to kind of stop that? Or how do you, what's the tools or tips or tricks that you do kind of immediately when those thoughts start to go in the wrong direction? Sure. Um, well, the, the most specific scenario I can think of is, it is how I feel about my body that there's, it's fluctuates, even though I'm in recovery and I'm doing great. My body image and my body dysmorphia kind of, kind of pops up once in a while. I actually describe my eating disorder as being uh, another girl, like a little girl inside me who's super evil and mean and crazy. And sometimes she's quiet and sometimes she's really loud and annoying and awful. And sometimes some days she creeps up and those are those thoughts, right? And she'll make me want to cut fat off my body, you know, or just starve myself or it re- it's really hard when I want to go buy a bathing suit online and I have to, you know, take measurements and, or figure out what right pants to wear, or, you know, quarantine has been so difficult because, you know, everyone's gaining weight. Everyone doesn't feel great. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of my clothes don't fit me right now. And that's really hard. It's really hard just for anybody. Um, but what I do is I try to take a deep breath. And depending on the issue, I'll either share with my partner or I have a group text going with some uh, close friends from a meeting I go to. Um, It's uh, specifically about eating and it's a safe space to be like, 
Like the other day, I was like, guys, I'm trying to buy a swimsuit online and I just want to die. This is awful. It's telling me I'm a size that I didn't think I was. <sighs> what do I do? And then I just get all these incredible, loving, supportive texts from these women. And that's really, that's really great. Uh, and then I have just a list in my head of things that make me feel good, whether it's like lying on the floor and spending time with my cat or um, going out and going for a walk or doing a meditation or calling a friend or taking a shower, something like that, getting it, taking that energy that those evil energies or evil thoughts and transforming them into something else. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful to let them fester. Like you're talking about is really um, poisonous. Yeah. You said something there that I think is really valuable to the listeners. I had um, a author of the book, Best Self, uh, a life coach by the name of his name is Mike Bear. He's been mm -hmm. on the Dr. Phil show, but in his book, he does something that you did there and it's really, really valuable. And I got to be honest, I thought it was really stupid. I thought I'm 30 years old, man. I'm not drawing a, drawing a freaking picture, but what he has you do is exactly what you, what you said is kind of delineate what your best self looks like. Those times when you walk in the room and you feel confident and you feel, feel like the talk of the town, when you feel good, when you feel um, amazing, like list all that out. What is that like? And then also list out your anti-self or, or the worst self. What does this person look like? And the reason being is that when you disassociate, you're able to notice that a little bit more and go, oh, this is just my, my worst self. And then when you have your, your best self, you can kind of go, if, if I was my best self, how would I act right now when I'm thinking these thoughts? They would, my best self would go for a walk, which is another thing that I thought was so dumb when my therapist told me, I've told the story before, but when I was coming out of my depression after my suicide attempt, the first meeting with my therapist, um, it's supposed to be an hour long. She could tell I was not about it. I'm not a meditation dude. I don't talk to people. I don't go to the doctor. Get the fuck away from me. All these things. And she goes, she goes Josh, stop. She goes, do you have nature near you? And I go, yeah, I live you know, over here in Newport Beach. I got the back bay. And she goes, go out there and just walk for five minutes and walk for five minutes. If you can do it barefoot on the grass or the dirt, that's the best thing. And then come back next week. If you want to talk, great. If not, no problem. But going out in nature or getting out of that spot on the couch or that room that you're in and just getting out of that is so powerful. It seems so dumb. And I say that because I thought it was so dumb. I still think it's dumb and I still have to kind of force myself to do it. But the minute I get out of that, off of that couch or out of the office or, or whatever and go, especially put my feet on actual nature just for five minutes, it just does something. Totally. It changes that energy. It just helps me get through it. And because when I stay there, just like you talked about before, I'll just sit there and I'll think about it and think about it and think about it. And it'll get worse and worse and worse. And I'm really good at thinking bad things about myself. I'm a pro, you know? <laughs> so that's I, paralyzing. Yeah. It, it's, you got to move your body. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know we're kind of cruising up on time. I do have just a couple other questions for you. But let everybody know what you got going on because you're a CEO, you got a, um, a cool product out there. So let everybody know what, what you got going on. Where can they find your social media, website, everything? Sure. Yeah. So I just started a new startup called Switch. Our main MVP product is a sustainably made and swishable underwear for the active, versatile woman. So say you're camping or going on a long hike, 
while you're in an airplane and you just want to switch out your underwear, you don't want to do the whole thing, take your pants off, your shoes off. You can just pull your pants down a little bit. And there are these really flexible, soft fasteners at each hip and just switch them out. So they come in kits of two. Um, and we just finished our crowdfunding campaign, which did really well. And we raised enough to uh, press play on our first production. We met all our minimums, cool. so that's rad. And we're on Instagram, we're Switch Underwear. Switch is spelled S-W-T-C-H. Uh, so Switch Underwear, we're on Facebook as Switch. Um, and we are going to be, we're still on pre-order right now. We just launched our shopping cart on our website. So that's www.switchunderwear.com. Yeah. And you can pre-order your switch kit there. The kits are 20% off right now for pre-order. So that's great. And we should have inventory uh, in early fall. So cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It, was, it was funny. I was in my um, uh, office in going over kind of some of your background and going over your product. And I had the picture of it's like a side view of a gal with the underwear on un- unfastened or unzipped on the side or, or oh yeah that's me <laughs> <laughs> and my wife comes in and she goes what are you looking at and I go no you don't understand this is the business it's a, it's a CEO she's coming on but you know what the, but when I was looking at it I was like this type of thing is you saw a need for for an item or for a product and you filled that need and when I looked at it I got to be honest I what put in my head or what went straight to my head was this is the next Spanx. I'm going to see this girl on Oprah or Ellen, the next Spanx type of thing. Ah! <laughs> no, because that's Thank a, you. Because I, I love people that see a need, create a product, fill that need. And then we could do a whole nother podcast on your journey through entrepreneurship. Because the other thing that I lo- love about you is that you saw a need, you made a product, but then no, no, like Ivy League background school in, in from, <laughs> nope. uh, business Wharton business school. You just jumped in and just started doing it, which is so cool. So like I said, we could do a whole nother podcast just on your entrepreneur journey alone. But um, that'd be great. Thank cool. you. I really appreciate all that support. It's a, uh, it's been crazy. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And it, uh, it, it's really been built over all this trauma that I've been talking about. Um, I was, I was tired of seeing a, you know, not getting what I needed from the underwear world, which is strictly, which is mainly run by men. So yeah, I was like, you know, women need options. So I got to make another option. And you did, you did it perfect. Well, like I said, I just have two last, two last questions for you. One is a personal question to you. And then one for advice to, to women and I want to kind of put everybody in there. I want to talk about the little girls, but also I want to talk about, you know, gals that are, you know, my age in the forties, you know, as they're, they're kind of looks or, or quote unquote starting to fade, you know, and all these types of things. What, what advice or what would you say to women in general about body image issues or, or loving themselves or, or anything along that topic? It's a big question. Yeah. There's so many answers. Lately, my best advice is to say you're feeling a feeling of less self-worth or not loving yourself due to your 
physical shape or looks. Close your eyes and then just feel inside, feel your body. That really helps me because when I close my eyes, I don't know what I look like. I don't see anything. All I have are all of my memories, all of the love I've had in my entire life. And that's all that matters. And what is also really helpful for me is when you're really questioning your self-worth based on what you look like, remember that, think about all the relationships that you have in your life and ask yourself if any of them are based on physical attributes or what someone looks like or how skinny they are or how pretty their hair is or if, it, or if it's the way they make you laugh or the way they make you smile or the way they make you come or the way they hold your hand or spark your intelligence and get you talking. And nine times out of 10, you'll realize that that's what's important and not, you know, the shape of their body. And then just last question for you personally, how do you build your self-worth? How do I build my self-worth? By being as honest as possible all the time. And that's with myself and that's with people. And that's usually, that usually takes the shape of giving myself what I need. If it's saying no to someone because I don't feel like doing that, or if it's, a, you know, in a business matter, usually saying no is really important because it, it shows your boundaries and makes you feel strong. I think, um, I think what's really important to me is building my strengths mentally, emotionally, and physically. I have learned to not push myself too hard in the exercise realm or things get a little sticky. So gentle, loving exercise, uh, meaningful yoga, and just going for a hike in the wilderness, things that make my body feel strong without making me search for my results the next day. And having conversations with people I love, talking about my feelings, just keeping it open, keeping vulnerable, whether it's emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. If I, if I keep myself shut in, my self-worth dwindles. But if I, if I keep open, if I keep myself open, the love comes in. Yeah. Yeah, I can connect with that immensely. You know, um, if you think about it, not all the time, but a lot of times when you're down in the depths or in those dark times of despair, a lot of times it's a lot of inward thinking, a lot of inward um, thoughts. But mm -hmm. when you open up and you start spreading love outward, start helping people, um, you end up getting a lot of love back. And the focus on yourself becomes on other people and loving the world and trying to make a difference. And it's helped me. sounds like it's helped you. Um, you've been through a lot. You've overcome it all and currently going through it all. And you're, I'll see you on the cover of Forbes magazine or <laughs> teaching a class at Wharton's business school. And you and um, the Sphinx gal will be doing a talk together. I'm pretty sure. Um, but in all seriousness, sincere, when I say, I appreciate you coming on, I appreciate you telling your story. 
because someone's going to hear this. And like I said, it's going to get them through their next hour, through their next day. And that is simply one of the best things that I could ever ask. And um, I just appreciate you doing it. Appreciate being transparent and vulnerable on here. So thank you very much for coming on the Overcoming You podcast. Of course. It was, it was a pleasure. I'm really glad you're doing this. So thank you so much for having me. Awesome. All right, everybody. Remember, be kind to yourself. <laughs>